What a beautiful heart. Did you hear his heart last Sunday? Pastor Dave's last message after 12 years of serving you was such a wonderful display of a pastor's loving heart. When he spoke on his last Sunday and how he spoke revealed how much he loves you. Ask any pastor and they'll tell you that a pastor's farewell message to his church is extremely difficult to give. So much history, so many emotions, so many thoughts that I wish I could have said, but a pastor's last message could also be a parting shot to unload his frustrations. I told you so! <laughs> or to indulge in self-pity, or even to split the church. But Pastor Dave showed you the extent of his love for you. And Pastor Dave, watching online, I, I hope you see this. I want to thank you personally for showing us your heart and leading us to sing. There's just something about that name, as we did last Sunday. You pointed us to look to Jesus. And do you remember how Pastor Dave concluded his series on the revelation of Jesus Christ? So many interpretations, so much information, and he said this, Above all, as you read the book of Revelation and study it, fix your eyes on Jesus. Pastor Dave, I want to follow your lead, your heart, and try to help this church to fix their eyes, continue to fix their eyes on Jesus. Let's, let's you and I ask God uh, to, to move in our hearts that we might fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. You know, we all have two sets of eyes. I'm not talking about your glasses. There's the natural eyes that we have, but also the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 that we have the eyes of our heart. It says, and I pray that the, and this is my prayer for us, that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and that incomparable power for us who believe that resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want us to look at Jesus by listening to his winsome invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Please open your Bibles to that passage. And as you do, I noticed as I came in this morning, and I heard him talk about it last week, that there are these copies of this book, Gentle and Lowly, and I'm thinking, hold it, Dave. That's my message for this Sunday. So just read the book. Okay. <laughs> They're out there in the, in the foyer, in the far table out there. Please take this and read it. Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 11 to 30. And I'm reading out of the New International Version, 1984. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Take your yoke and learn, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. I got that backwards. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm trying to work this. 
Is it on? PowerPoint. I'm turning this button here. Right there. Thank you, Patty. I've used one of these for years, and of course this morning, I don't know what I'm doing. But, but Jesus' words come to me. This is Jesus the Christ who is speaking to you directly. And he calls you to himself. No other founder of any other religion can make such a gracious invitation and fulfill that promise of rest. No church or denomination or religion. No philosophy can give you this kind of rest. No worldview can give you this rest that Jesus promises you. Only the person, the God-man of Jesus the Christ, can make such an invitation and deliver on what he promises to you, the burdened one. Are you burdened today? Are there things in your life that are just weighing you down heavily? Uh, that is the one who is beaten down. I mean, it just beats on you. The world beats on you. And in this day and age, don't you feel kind of beaten on? Jesus is talking to you today about his rest. And then the wearied one. Worn out by trying to keep all the religious traditions of the past. And, and the Jews who heard Jesus talk about this, they knew what that was like to be weird because the Pharisees were laying heavy burdens on them of rules and religions and traditions that aren't biblical. And it wore them out. When Jesus says, come to me, it means simply draw near to Jesus by crying out, Help me, Jesus. Take the meaning. Holy Spirit, inside of me, interceding for me, hear my groans. Oh, I want to draw to Jesus. And Jesus, the great high priest, our intercessor, is praying for us as well. And he understands your heart that you want to come to him and, and just say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. I want to draw near to you and that the way you intended that. Help me. No special password needed to get in. No fees or money required. Just come. Just unload. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He will carry your load. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. The Latin word in there is just, Vacate. Take a vacation from all your efforts and let me help you. Quiet your soul and draw near to God who will draw near to you. That's a pastor's heart. And so we may approach the throne of grace with confidence, with a sense and assurance that he hears us out of the billions and billions of prayers he knows you by name, and He hears you, and He comes rushing to your aid, that, and, and you may receive mercy and grace to help you at your very point of need. You don't have to sanitize yourself and get yourself up to this. Just say, I can't do this, Lord. Help me. You understand my disappointments. Be near to me, and you will find that mercy and grace at the very point of need where you are. That's Jesus, the good shepherd 
opens the door of the sheepfold, and he calls you by name, Jesus tells us, doesn't he? He calls you by name. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you something you never were before that's so much better. But come, he calls you out of the sheep and says, follow me, and you follow him out, and he will restore your soul, and he'll lead you beside the still waters and into the green pastures, and he will lead you along the right paths of so many diversion paths, and he will, and he will bless you, anointing your head with oil, and, and your cup will overflow, and, and, and you will sense that, that his mercy and grace follow you, those two sheepdogs that hurt us on, they will follow you all the days of your life, and you have this confidence, and I will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are Baptists, but we can still say amen, right? Okay. All right. This is Jesus talking to you. Oh, yes. Look at the good shepherd this morning and throughout your life, but especially this morning, and see his pastor's heart. You know, the word pastor is actually a Latinized word for the word shepherd. You know, we get the pasture, pastor, shepherd. Jesus is the good pastor. It's just amazing to me that he wants to reach out to me and, and, and show us his heart and his hope to which he's called us and, and, and to bless us with his resurrection power by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's just wonderful. And as you join and will you join the good shepherd, he will teach you his ways as you put his yoke upon you, you're side by side with this wonderful Savior, all-powerful, and you're walking alongside of him day by day. And, and he has given you a yoke that's well-fitting, fits well and easy. That's your spiritual gifts and your calling and, and the spiritual stamina to do what he's called us to do on his mission. Jesus is the servant he is the foot-washing king who bows down and washes my dirty feet, even Peter. Wow, that's love. That's the shepherd's heart. And he's humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and made, took upon himself the form of a servant that, that he might give his life for us. That's who the shepherd is of this church. And he hasn't forsaken you. And he wants you to experience Yes, his eternal life forever, but also his abundant life right now. His promised rest, you know, is not the absence of stress. Thank you, Lord. I still rest in the midst of my stress. But it's the resources he's given us, not just to cope in the midst of the stress, but to find hope and courage and strength to do what he's called us to do. I can do all things Christ has called me to do. All really? What have you called us to do? Because he has given us his perseverance and, and his hope. 19th century missionary doctor, David Livingstone. You've heard of him, right? Yes. After 16 years of a very difficult ministry in Africa, he came back to the University of Glasgow to receive an honorary degree for such a powerful work that he did. And after his acceptance speech, he said that the only thing that kept him from from uh, giving up with all the stress and his frequent illnesses and all the perils in Africa was this. He said, it's the reassuring promise of Christ's daily presence. 
Oh, he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own every day. And the joy we share as we tarry there, that's biblical fellowship. That's what he invites us to. And so being yoked together with him. And, and Pastor Dave, I have another thing I want to thank you for, not just beside this book that you give to the congregation, which talks about what I just said so much better. So read it, everybody. Please do. Uh, did you hear his last message last Sunday? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's, it's, it was excellent. It is an excellent message. Uh, trying to do this. I'm still not doing this. Which button am I pushing? Yeah, bottom. Okay. All right, we're on. I think that Pastor Dave's last message revealed his heart so well that I have copied his notes, loose sheet of paper back in the lobby, and, on, and by the way, if you're online, my message notes for today are online. Everything I'm saying right now is a manuscript, and so you can go online and read that, and also David's, Pastor Dave's message is online. I want us to keep this on, as Pastor Dr. Hendricks used to say, keep it tattooed on your frontal lobe because what Pastor Dave talked about is a new day, a move towards a good transition. And as I read this, I'm thinking, David, thank you so much. Your last message revealed your heart for this church. This is what we need to do, point by point by point. So let me just, for example, uh, change versus transition. Change is when you say, I do, and walk down the aisle. Transition is 55 years of trying to put up with her. I'm not, or she trying to put up with her. That's a, transition is, is, is hard. And Tim, let me just go over this again because it is so vital. I want everybody to hear this. Ten phases of, of transition. We cry out to God. Before we seek God, God is working behind the scenes. The journey gets worse before it gets better. God's promises, us deliverance. God fights against the gods in our lives, and there's Passover, and there's change, and we'll be tested that we're on the right path, and there's a desire to go back to Egypt where the garlics and leeks are, the good old days that only exist in our memories, and then there's transition, Joshua 5. And then Dave says this, change is often neutral, but good transitions honor God. You as a church are in a unique and special moment, not just in this church history, but in the history of America and the world, to make a good transition to be the salt and light that Jesus wants us to be. And here's some points of, of change. Good transitions are planned. Good transitions encounter battles. Good transitions include everyone. To your left, to your light, behind you, before you, every one of you, all you online. It includes everyone. Uh, change happens, and transition is hard. We're we're suiting up for a very important journey, and it can be hard. It will be hard. And then Dave points this out. Please hear this. The people in Joshua, they had a a renewed commitment to the covenant of the gospel to share who Jesus is. Yeah, the gospel from Genesis 12, 3 is the gospel announced in advance and a commitment to what is our, why are we here? 
What's our purpose? It is to make disciples, evangelize, and share, and a renewed commitment to the gospel, and a renewed commitment to community. And community is a big word for you and me. It comes from the Greek word common, which we get the Greek word koinonia, which is fellowship, and that's eye to eye, hand in hand, loving one another, caring for each other. And Dave is calling you for a renewed commitment to do that. Come in from uh, online service and join the community. And then a renewed commitment to conquer. Oh, let's cross the Jordan. Let's win the battle. There's a land he's got for us. Application and action. Yeah, I'm going through his, his message. And you, uh, you take it home with you. Take a blue sheet when you leave and, and read this. Post it on your, on your office wall or, or over your kitchen sink. And pray through this. Ask the Lord to help you do this. He said, I would encourage you to spend more time envisioning the future and less time celebrating the past. You can't drive a car always looking in the rearview mirror. Right? I would encourage you to let go of the hurts of the past and lean into the promises of the future. Maybe that's where a lot of people need to do this. Forgive means to let go. Let go of it. Thirdly, I would encourage you to be driven more by the gospel and less by the church. So, Pastor Dave, I can't thank you enough, and I'm going to honor you and your ministry here by continuing to point this out to this flock that this is the way. This is the way. But I want to go back one more, a little bit more and talk about the, the plan that he talks about. Transitions that are effective need a good plan. And the best plan of a good transitional that I know of is in your hands, or it's in the lobby, it's online, it's posted. I've handed out how many thousands of copies to you already. This is the Interim Pastoral Ministry Plan of Action, the five stages. Please pick this up and take it home and read it and pray through it. If you want details, this I printed this up and I, and I highlighted today, where we are today in this process. That's on Connects with people, item J and K. That's where we are. And if, if the Lord calls me to be your interim pastor, I'm going to follow this punch, this punch list right through this. This is what, what's going on. Pull out your sheet and read it. Here are the details. This is what we're trying to do. And there's five stages. So please, men, it's only three pages long. Read it. Meditate on it. Marinate your brain on it because this is the Lord called. This is what we'll be doing. So there it is. And the five stages, let me go on this. I got it. Five stages of, of intentional interim ministry. Um, Dr. Downs, who'll be speaking next Sunday, was uh, part of this planning. In fact, I think he was here last spring. And he's the one who recommended interim pastor ministries to this church. And so you go all the way up to uh, connect with people, uh, uh, 1A. It was through Dr. Downs who said, there's an organization called Interim Pastor Ministries. And so here we are, several months later, looking at this. So thank you, Dr. Downs. If it doesn't go right, it's your fault. No. <laughs> Seriously, this is the best plan I know, and, and you can read about this. Uh, these five stages is a clear path 
of, of, of a very proven, helpful path, direction, a roadmap that's, that's been refined over 30 years with over 1,250 churches throughout America and in Hawaii and even in China. And you can read about all that in the back of this second page here, what I want you to have, all those things. So I'm not going to go point by point through all these details of the five stages, but you'll say, how long is it going to take? When can we go look for our pastor? Maybe 18 to 24 months from now. This is about a two-year uh, journey. And with COVID-19, it might take longer. You know, what we could normally do in one month takes how long now? So I want to encourage you that, you know, if you call me, you got to have to look at this bald-headed guy for a couple of years. And, and I'm going to go through this and, and try to make sure that we follow this like it is. So five transitional, uh, so connects with people. I don't want to go through this too, too uh, slowly, too quickly. Phase one is connects with people. That'll probably take through January for me to, uh, Judy and I would like to visit you in your homes and just get to hear your hearts. And, and I'll also be reading every document I can find, 139 years of them. Maybe not that many, but I'll read all that. I'll look at all, everything you've tried to do, try to develop an assessment of what's going on in the church. As I assess the church, I'll say, so why do I wear this funky-looking headset? I don't know. Uh, why is this? I'm just asking questions, you know. What's going on with the, with the PowerPoint and all this? And, and then why, why do we have children's church? I'm just asking why. I want to listen. I want to find out. I want to listen to your hearts. And I want to give you, uh, return to you an assessment of what I see where this church is. And on the back of all this page I gave to you, there is a uh, life cycle, which Dr. Downs mentioned on May 23rd when he talked about uh, what this church needs to do. I encourage you to also take that and post that someplace where you can evaluate where you think this church is. And I've been sharing this with the search team and anybody that will listen, but this is for you to do as well, for you personally to say, I think the church is here. One day, I'll try to gather all the information and say, all right, this is where we are. Based on what you see and what, we, what I've seen, this is where we are, and this is where we're headed. What corrective actions do we need to take? And that's the third part. Facilitate action. There may be a lot of brokenness and broken relationships that you need to let God heal in your life. One pastor came and, and taught the Lord's Prayer here a while back. You know, Father, forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, if you don't forgive, you're really not forgiven by the Lord either. You don't really understand the grace you've received. We bless because we have been blessed by God. And if you have unforgiveness in your heart, that's not a Jesus thing. Where's that coming from? And if you keep that in your heart, the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I harbor iniquity of my heart, the Lord will not listen to my prayers. God, I thank you for grace. You still listen, but you know what I mean? It is the, the prayer of a, of a righteous man that is effective, not someone that's holding back and holding grudges and holding hurts. And that has to happen in this church. And someday, as I said yesterday, we will have a meeting, maybe January, February, a come to Jesus meeting as a church for repentance. That the Lord would make you one in spirit. 18, 20, 
And then, then after that, we lead strategic planning. What things do we do? What things do we don't do? We can't do everything, but strategically, why, let's, let's find out. What are the things we need to do to move this church to be the church that Jesus has called us to be? So anyway, that's, that is. And then there, you'll see in your message notes, or maybe if you want, there, there are five transitional looks. That's also in the, the notes I have in you. You can look at those. Uh, five transitional looks. We need to have. We need to be aware. We need to look around. We need to take off our blinders. And this is not being woke. This is being biblically revived and seeing things in fresh eyes. First of all, is looking back. We've got to look back at the past and come to terms with the church history. Not just you know we built this building this year and have that pastor that year. Your history. And yeah, there was a time this this auditorium was filled. Well, has the, has the community gotten smaller? Why isn't this church filled? Two, you only have one service? I mean, by 9 o'clock, I've already preached one sermon. Activity, why, why is this going on? That's the kind of history. Then look around, and that's assessing church leadership and workers and organizational things. And again, you can follow the punch list, what we're doing, and then looking forward, we need to clarify the church, who are we, the congregation's identity. Yeah, we're Hillsboro First Baptist Church, but what makes us unique from all the other churches in the community? He has uniquely gifted this church and called you to a unique mission, and that mission needs to be identified and clearly, clearly stated. And look into the future. And I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, in these slides we have before the service begins, what about having a slide that says, serving Washington County for a, since for 139 years with the love of Christ? What other church can say that? You're unique, but let's do it. And then after all those looks around, the next look is looking for a pastor. And I'll tell you, that's going to be difficult in this day and age. It may have to look all over the country, have to wait, pray. What we need to find out what's going on. So bottom line, all these looks and all this path is going to, we're going to come up with several documents that you're going to help produce and produce. Number one is a church profile. Who are we? What are our strengths, our weaknesses? What do we need to do? And then a community profile. Who are we trying to reach? Uh, how is this going to work? Uh, who, are we going to reach across the street? Are we going to include our Hispanic church next door to us? Lord, love them. My goodness, Hector is a godly pastor, been around for 30 years. We're just a bunch of whiteys in here. That's not the community. Let's reach the community. But that's a community. Do you want to do that? And then you develop the third document besides the uh, church profile and the community profile is the pastor's profile. What kind of person, man, has the unique gifting and calling and training that can come into this church and match who you are and what you need and can lead you into the future. That's what this is all about. Three profiles and then a pastor's search. So we must assess our church and community accurately without prejudices and preferences, without spin on it or trying to give the best thing, but really just frankly, Lord, Speak to us. But that reveals one point that I want to make. As much as I love what God has done through interim pastoral ministries and this plan that you have in your hands, it's not going to work. Well, what am I doing here? 
No, this plan won't work because it's a plan. Man directs his plans, but God directs the course. And I will tell you this, we can't afford to put our hope in a program ever. And some people, they idolize a program in their past and life that worked then, and that's become more important. Let me give you an example. Remember when Moses and the, and the people were in the wilderness and all the people were dying of being snake bit? Jesus talks about this in John 3. And um, Moses said, if you want to live from these poisonous snake bites, then look at this bronze snake that I've sculptured for you and live. That's the look of faith, to look up and live. And pe many people lived. But you know what happened to that bronze snake? Oh, they, they made that a monument. They idolized it. It says in 2 Kings that they burned incense to it, so much so that when King Hezekiah at age 25 became the king of Judah, he took down all the Asherah pros and high places and, the, and places where he worshipped little gods, and then he went into the temple and took the bronze snake, and he called it Nehushtan, and smashed it to pieces because people were putting their hope in a, in a talisman, in, in, a, in a little god. And this is not going to save you. What was it that caused those people to be saved? God's promise, the look of faith. And faith is, is, is something we don't see, but it's by faith we see this. And, and when Jesus talked to that Nicodemus Pharisee guy who knew everything, he said, remember Moses? This is what it means to be born again. It's the look of faith. It's the gaze of the soul, as Tozier would call it. So we need to ask why. This program that we have, this church is only going to move forward. It will only be a good transition when the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, who lives inside of you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit infuses you and fills you so that you, as you practice this plan, it will be affected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because here's what the Bible says, you know, when Zerubbabel and Ezra tried to rebuild the temple in, in Jerusalem, God said to them and, and said, you know, it's, it's not going to be done, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, my, now, now this word might is organizational structure, getting things right. And boy, I, I think I'm kind of good at that. I'll find out. <laughs> but no matter how good it's going to be, it's not going to be my might, nor is it going to be by power. That's by military power or, or forcing you to do it or whatever. We're just going to force this through. No, that's not how you build. That's not how you move the mountain there's only one way. It's total reliance on the Holy Spirit of God. You need to be right with Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what needs to go on in this church. More and more and more. Some of you are. I've met a lot of you great people out there. I don't know your heart's condition, but Jesus does. Jesus does. So, let me give you an example. Another king in, in Judah, the small kingdom, not the northern southern kingdom, uh, his name was King Jehoshaphat. And one day he woke up on that morning and did he not know that his day was going to be changed forever. There were the Moabites and Ammonites in crossing the border ready to, to destroy, not just take, but destroy all of Judah. A mighty army that was vast. and I think of, you know, that classic movie Red Dawn when all those Koreans, North Koreans were 
dropping in. That's where it was. There was no way that Judah, our, our, our King Jehoshaphat, could, could, could fight. So what did he do? Well, he had had a history of his dad and granddad, some not and some learning to inquire of God. And Hezekiah had that history. To inquire, to consult, Lord, what do you want? And so based on what the Bible had said to him in 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and, and repent of their sins, then will I hear from heaven. And so King Hezekiah says, Lord, we humble ourselves. He called all the Jews people together and said, we need to pray. We need to consult God. We don't know what, we're, we're going to die. In a, in a, the, we're going to die. There's no other hope. And so he got up and stood before the people and said that, and he prayed. The, can you imagine the leader of your country saying, we don't know what to do? Well, actually, 2 Chronicles uh, 20, verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, we, we, we know that we have no power to face this, this uh, vast army that's attacking us. I mean, they've landed in Astoria. They're already crossing Washington County line, and they're coming and going to fight us. We don't know what to do, O Lord. Uh, that's, but our eyes are on you. Where are your eyes in the midst of this crisis right now? Who are you looking at? Fix your eyes on the pastor's heart, Jesus' heart. You see, effective transitions depend on one continual look. And that's the fifth look that I want to talk about, and that is to look up. Look up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, it says, well, first of all, to fix your eyes on Jesus, you know what that means. Do you have a cell phone? Are you ready to answer it right now? Do you know how many times a day that a teenager looks and fixes their eyes on their cell phone? About 286 times. Do you, do you fix your eyes on Fox News? Do you fix your eyes on uh, television? Do you fix your eyes on problems? But to fix your eyes is to look to Jesus, that continuing gaze of the heart, as Tozier said. Now, how is that possible? I mean, I'm losing my cell phone, and you see people walk off and stumble because they're looking at their cell phone. Is that what that means? I'm always thinking about Jesus, <laughs> fall over. Well, think of a dad that goes to work at Intel. He has several children and a lovely wife. And he's got to perform well at Intel. So he has to do that minute technical work. But I bet on his desk is a picture of his wife and kids. Any office. And so when he has a break, he may call up, hey, honey, how you doing? His heart. And when he starts to go home, his eyes, that's what it means. Your eyes always go back to the one you love. And you can do your work without stumbling in that regard. And that's what we're talking about. There, it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And here the sin is bitterness and anger and disappointments and false assumptions, and I don't have to change. Throw all that thing off. You know, don't be distracted. Gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher, perfecter of our faith, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Won't he? 
When he saved you years ago, for what purpose? What reason? There's a work for you to do. He wants you to have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. And, and right here, right now, he's the perfecter of our faith who helps us grow, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and with victory set down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Oh, dear church, there's a danger of growing weary and losing heart, isn't there? Pastoral transitions are that difficult. We need to grieve the losses you've suffered, not just Pastor Fields, but Pastor Rich and so many others. The grief is there. Cry. Mourn. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the joy set before you, because otherwise you will go weary and lose heart. And frankly, I'm amazed at, at so many of you I've met who have just done the heavy lifting to get this church to this point. Thank you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, and let us look at your heart, Jesus. He loves you. He leads you. He is the good shepherd. Let us, that's together, not let me. Yes, I'll do that, but as there's, there, there's that koinonia, that community, that fellowship where we are in this together, side by side. There's the enemy, not the one beside you. There's the enemy. Let's go for it. Oh, look at Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we lift our eyes to you. And when we lift our eyes to you, Jesus, I know we, we see you looking back at us with loving, smiling eyes, kind. Oh, make eye contact with your Savior and Lord. Have a heart-to-heart -heart with him every day. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we need all the time? Now, just one more thing. Who am I? I'm talking about me, this guy. Look at my resume. You've got, it's out there, whatever. That kind of summarizes our ministry together. Judy and I have been married 54 years. And uh, here's a picture of them. Yes, there's me in the blue shirt, Judy right behind. And our wedding ring is inscribed for 54 years. What, Pastor Dave, you read, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. When we sent out our wedding invitation, we said, we want to invite you to the second greatest event of our lives. The first greatest is when we placed our faith in Jesus. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And that is our passion. His glory. Together, we celebrate. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. That when people come into this room, they know God's presence is here. And they'll fall down and say, God is really among you. That can happen. May it happen. So last, last December, Judy and I retired after 50 years of, of ministry as a pastor. And uh, had all my suits and clothes pressed and put away. I'd never wear them again. And <laughs> I, I, we've been we've been we've been retired for so long. I forgot. Now, how do we do Sunday? <laughs> what time do we get? What do you do this? Oh, okay. Let's. Where's okay? There's my shoes. That's kind of thing. We we love our retirement. Um, we had thought we were going to stay in Oregon City. Uh, we have a nice home there. 
We know a lot of folks there. It was very comfortable. And if the Lord called us to do intentional interim ministry, it had to be close by because of our old age and so forth. But our son-in-law, who is the guy in the checkered shirt there, Marcus, and his, uh, our daughter, Mary Margaret, the gal in the, right there in white, sweet Mary Margaret named for her two grandmothers, called Judy and I up and said, hey, Dad, um, we're glad you're retiring. We're so glad that we want to give you $1,000 a month to help you retire. They know what a pastor lives on and doesn't make. I said, man, that's, wow, that's really? He said, or I have another suggestion. It's a win-win idea. How about we buy you a house in Hillsboro and you live in it rent-free? And I said, Judy, we're moving to Hillsboro. Seriously, they bought a house as an investment. They gave us their specs, what they could afford and price points. So in November, we began looking for a house in Hillsboro. We moved from Hillsboro in 2009 to Oregon City, and now we're moving back. So we've seen Hillsboro a little bit. So we kept, we had a realtor, and they were looking for houses that were in that price point. You know what? Uh, the real estate market in Hillsboro has gone up a little bit. <laughs> and what we thought we could afford, it wasn't there. And we said, and so every time the realtor would give us a, a lead, we'd get in our car, jet over here, and look, oh, no, that would be so much, we can't, no, that's not going to work. You see, the reason we want to live in Hillsboro, because our son uh, and, and uh, his wife, our son is in the black, but I, I, our grandkids, Zach with the dark hair, he's flaunting it because he can grow hair. Uh, and then uh, our, our granddaughter, Addie, standing next to David, just started Western uh, Western Western University yesterday, and then our son in black and that beautiful lady in the yellow, um, red is our daughter-in-law, and then beside Judy and I are our two eight-year-old granddaughters, Amy by her dad. They live in Bellingham, but Emily, ah, that's a cue for her. If she's watching. She'll know what I'm saying. Uh, say, they live right behind us. We saw a house come on the market that we thought this looks like, and it's the price point. And it looks like it's on David and Carrie Street. So I, I call up David and said, David, would you mind if we live close to you? And, and before he could answer it, I saw that the house was actually, the backyards actually back up to each other. And, and the price point was lower than it's supposed to be, but that's what they got. And we had to pay a lot more than that. But it was what you would call kindly a fixer-upper. So we sold our house in... Uh, January, we had in three days, the first three days, uh, 72 people come through with their realtors and 11 offers. That was the beginning of the market. So we did well. And meanwhile, we're trying to renovate the house, and it took, well, we're still working on it. Uh, we finally are hanging up pictures. But we have a friendship gate that opens up to their backyard five yards away. And so this morning, we open our slider, you know, curtain, and, and Carrie and Emily have made on eight and a half, 11 sheets of paper, um, three, three things. Uh, we love you. I mean, that, that's the first thing I saw this morning. Uh, we're praying for you. Go get them. And then Emily says, you can do it. And that's Now, let me tell you, I don't want to retire from that. But God has blessed us so much. And if you're blessed, you want to bless others. And, and so the Lord has, has moved in our lives. And, and um, our kids have made this possible. And they're going to help us as we continue to decline in our old age. Uh, I'm 76, Judy's 75, and I'm feeling it. But anyway, we retired from our career as full-time pastor. But I can never re retire from my calling. 
God has given me what I call a Caleb calling. You know Caleb? You know the story of Caleb? Uh, Professor Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary introduced me to Caleb 53 years ago when he taught on Joshua 14, uh, 6 through 15. You see that. And here's this old geezer, 85 years old. He and, he and Joshua, the two spies that gave a good report, and they lived from 40 to 85 through the wilderness. And this guy, if he could afford to retire in Jericho and the Palms and so forth and take it easy, what did he say? He says, no, no, no. He said, the Lord, I follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And, and I want to keep following the Lord wholeheartedly with all my life. And what he said was, see, here I am today, 85 years old, and I met some 80-year-olds and even 90-year-olds in here this morning. And we're, we're not getting there that close. And, and, I, and I, if I'm, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I can't say that, but I'm still strong, good health. And he says, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle as I was now. Here's this guy strapping on his armor and said, I'm not retiring from ministry ever. So now give me this hill country or this mountain. Give me the most difficult piece of property in, in the promised land because I want to fight it. There's where the Anakites, that's the giants. That's like Goliath. That's where these guys live and the walled cities. And that's also where Abraham is born, uh, buried in Mapila, all that. He said, I want to go and take that territory. Give it to me. He didn't go for the retirement home. He went for the mountain. And by God's grace, that's my calling. Hey, I would like you to join me, all you guys my age, with a Caleb calling. I want to call you the Caleb Commandos. Victory! Give us this mountain. Let us pass this on to the, not just to your kids, but to the grandkids and to all those that have those ages. That's what it's all about. And then young Timothys and young men and women and, and, and all colors of skin, red and yellow, black and white and brown. Jesus, we sing that song since a kid, precious in his sight. We need to have that population we need to open up and let them into our lives, into our church, into your homes, and they us. And I'm thinking, Hector's over there preaching in the Hispanic church. And by the way, if you're watching, we've got a great Hispanic ministry here. What time do they meet? At the same time. And if, you, if you're not good in English, Hector's very good. For 30 years, he's been following the Lord. My goodness. Join them if you can't speak English or hear English. And maybe we have a, a ministry to the Cambodians. Our neighbors across the street are Cambodian, to the right of Vietnamese. How do we reach them? Down the street, several Mexican families. I love them, especially their food. Okay, I'm saying this to you. As teenagers, as children, you're all part of the body of Christ. So who is the chief shepherd of this church can I hear, hear it? Jesus, Jesus the Christ. That's what it says in Colossians 1.18. Jesus, he's the head of the body, the church, the body. And, and if you read 1 Corinthians 12, you are a member of the body of Christ. Well, I'm not a member of the, no, but you're a member of the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit placed you into his body the moment you placed your faith in Christ. And he gifted you with special abilities to serve one another in his body. 
find your gift and use it as you're able physically. Or use it. This is the body of Christ. We should have young people up here leading in worship as well and serving back at the, at the, at the door and serving refreshments and, and, and loving. And we need to do that because if you're a member of the body of Christ, who can we exclude and owe Jesus? Tell me. You can't look down on anybody. That's partiality, James tells us, and that's sin. If you're looking down on somebody because of their skin color, that's sin. That's, that's systemic, not racism, systemic sin. That's a sin nature. And I'll preach more about that as the Lord leads us here. You have a vital part in the body of Christ, each one of you. Do you believe that? In the pew, you have a vital part in the body of Christ. So come from watching The View to being in the pew and joining us in ministry. Online. By the way, all these notes I'm sharing with you are online, recorded, so you can watch this again and again. I hope you do, especially Dave's. And then there's one other thing online that I want to share with you about the new pastor. A pastoral transition is not like changing a light bulb when the bulb goes out. Some people think that when you get the pastor, everything's going to be just fine. No. You put him in the, in the socket and he burns brightly till he burns out. He's attracted so many moths. And then you get, oh, that's, he's, he's done. Let's get another light bulb and put him up there. Oh, let's get a lead light this time. That is not going to solve your church's problems. We're not changing light bulbs. If you ask a person to come here, you're inviting them to change their lives and their families and their location. And they need your full support. Your vital part. This is a journey of transition, and we must engage it with a Caleb-like wholeheartedness at every age. And if I'm here, I want to call you to uh, the process of transformation that Dr. Downs gave to you on May the 23rd. Have, did you remember that? Maybe not. Go online, look at May 23rd, and listen to his message. He's going to speak next week. If he speaks on it again next week, good. We, repetition, you know, makes permanent. Okay. And so what, I, what I'm doing, there, he had a, a terrific prayer guide, and on the back of Dave's blue sheet is I, I, I printed up Dr. Downs's five points of prayer, Monday through Friday. Please take one with you and pray through that Monday we're going to pray for the meal, and Tuesday it's the mission message, Wednesday's the method, and down. And I'm going to preach on these one at a time in the next several months. Because this is so vital. This, this pattern of transformation is what we are hopefully going to experience to do. So take that as well. Excellent. Dr. Downs, I thank you so much for recommending Interim Pastoral Ministries to this church, for your ministry of advice, for speaking on the 23rd. And when you come next Sunday, knock them over, okay? And so that's, that's my message to you, is uh, by His grace. And his call, I will shepherd you through this transformational, direct path to be the church that Jesus, your shepherd, his shepherd's heart, is leading you to be. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.